Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one. It is episode 23. We're calling this one, Is This Heaven? I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. The guys are on live from 530 to 10 on 670 The Score. Of course, your official radio home for Cubs baseball. I'm with you from 5 to 530. It's a little pregame show. And as always, I am joined by my buddy Crowley. This is a special edition season one, episode 23. Crowley, is this heaven? Because you were in heaven yesterday. You were out in Dyersville, Iowa for the Field of Dreams game. First of all, Crowley, uh, how much sleep have you had over the last uh, 24 or 48 hours? I'm on two and a half hours sleep, so I, I, I am I am I am functioning barely, but uh, still buzzing. You know, they say Des Moines, the city's buzzing. Well, Dyersville was buzzing, and I still got a good buzz going from how amazing an experience that was. I could tell you, Dustin, I have been to minor league ball games, I've been to spring training ball games, I've been to Cubs games, I've been to other parks, I've been to Cubs cons, I've been to postseason games, World Series games. Nothing compares to the experience that I just had. That wow, that's that's wild to hear. Because you've been Crowley, you've been to NLCSs. You've been to. I'm assuming you were at World Series games. Mm-hmm. You were also you were part of the ring ceremony mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field, and this tops all of that. It was it was like it was such a unique experience. I guess would be the way to put it best. It just there there isn't anything that I could compare it to. I mean, the ring ceremony, yeah, definitely up there. Um, but just the whole experience of, of going down to Dyersville and, and just being in the middle of corn, man, I don't know what it is. It, it just kind of gets to you. All right, let's hit rewind on this a little bit. So typically in this podcast, we review the series that just got completed, and then we talk to a guest or two, and then we do a preview of the series coming up, and then Crowley and I will give a prediction, and usually I'm saying, please just don't get swept, and Crowley's going, let's get two out of three on this one. So what we're doing this week is we are reviewing last night's game. So this is Friday midday when Crowley and I are recording this. We're coming off the Cubs taking two out of three from the Nationals. So, Crowley, again, the Cubs have won, that's three, home series since the All-Star break. And you were at the game on Wednesday afternoon when they ended up taking that series. So, take us through all that. You went to, you went to the game on Wednesday, and then take us through, I guess, I'm interested. And you and I have texted a little bit since then. Take us through... Wednesday's afternoon Cubs game and give us a little feel of that and then what happened until you and I sat down to do this recording which was right about at noon Chicago time on Friday yeah I was at the bleachers on Wednesday and we had an absolute blast it was a lot of fun it was a beautiful weather like 80 degrees and when we were sitting at the game it it was a bad game for most of the, well not a bad one say a bad game but they're down two nothing most of the game and then in the seventh inning, they come, they, they score four runs, and it was just uh, super exciting. You know, to, you know, Nico Horner, who we've talked about, hit a home run, and all of a sudden you just kind of felt the momentum shift. 
One guy that we're going to have plenty to talk about is Nick Magical. I mean, he was driving in runs. There was a throwing error by Victor Robles. I thought he was going to hit poor Pat Hughes with that throw coming in. Uh, <laughs> and so we were kind of talking, you know, just driving in runs, doing the little thing, sack fly, but moving the runners over. Ian Happ is starting to warm up again. So it was a really fun win, a nice 4-2 to two win, but it didn't look that way for most of the game, especially the way that Joey Mendes was on a tear. I mean, the guy was just out of his mind. Somebody they might want to look at to uh, come over to Wrigley Field if he can hit that well as a visitor. Maybe you'd want him hitting there in uh, 82 home games. Absolutely. So, you know, I was out uh, on the town on uh, Wednesday night celebrating a, a well-earned Cubs victory and trying to hydrate because it was so hot in the bleachers. And so we woke up uh, really early, uh, probably like 6 a.m. on, on uh, Wednesday to go down to Dyersville. It's about a three, three-and-a-half-hour trip roughly. And they were having a fan festival in this tiny little school by there. And so there was everybody from Fergie Jenkins to Matt Caesar to Ben Zobrist. And uh, the one that I was really excited to talk to is Travis Wood. So Travis, great guy, had, had some good conversations with him. And so camouflage there, vest, Crawley. Did he have the camouflage vest going? It was funny. I took a picture with him, and, and somebody commented, "I don't believe this. Both of you have your shirts on." So uh, he was <laughs> he, he was dressed uh, very appropriately for the occasion, I guess. Uh, but then it was about a mile and a half to the, to you, you know you're it, it's it reminded me so much of this movie because we got this line of cars going down these tiny roads surrounded by the cornfields and you know we get to park in and we just we grab some roadie sodies to walk with us to the park and uh you know we cross the street and and one of the very first things that you see when you get there is you see the iconic white house right from from the movie so you kind of go in and i'm going in line and there's a sign that says field of dream so i get a picture who do i literally walk into the back of, of is matt spiegel from the afternoon show. <laughs> so he's with his son, Ruben. Yeah, and I'm pretty cool like, story. Yeah, he took his son, Ruben. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Very and, cool. and that, was, Very cool. that was the one thing is because it was so tiny, it's like you literally bumped into everybody and anybody. So it was just like, you know, I've missed CubsCon the last couple of years, and this was almost kind of like that, except more intimate. It was like everybody you bumped into, there was some cub connection, whether it was a front office, a former player, a family member of a player. It was just insane. So that area, Crawley, when we're, we're still outside the park at, at this point, did for that day, this is Thursday now, did you need any kind of special pass? Did you already have to show the ticket? Or was that area basically open to the public, even though there was that big game going on? No, you had to have tickets to go in. So that's so right there you get to the field of dreams and then there's people with the scanners and then you go in and now you're in front of the white house and the baseball field and they have the bench where the little girl fell and was choking on the hot dog and all that stuff and, and so it was really cool they just had a lot of different things going on uh mlb network had there was it fox fox had the uh i can't remember if it was mlb or fox but there was somebody they were interviewing people so we saw ian happ doing an interview and, and just different people are coming on golf carts, just flying all over the place. And so, you, you know, people are playing catch on the field. They had cornhole or bags, whatever you, you choose to call the game and everyone's just having a good time. And so I could see the stadium, right? So you're on the, you're, you're at the house in the little ballpark that was built for the movie. And then I can see off in the distance, the stadium stadium, right? And so I'm with my friend Stuart McVicker from Club 400, and we're like, okay, well, how do we get to the stadium now? 
We ask someone that's working there, they say, you have to go through the cornfields. You know, we're like, ha, 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 really? Like, no, that you you go through the corn. And right. so, so they have like all- a cutout, like a Halloween maze type thing almost that you go through? Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even I mean, it was like cut a- out, right, Crowley? You didn't have to like go through actual corn that you're like going like this, right? No, you actually you, you, you walked. No, you it was- were literally, you were going through some of that as you got oh through. Oh, my gosh. Like- oh, my gosh. 25 to 30 feet of corn that you're kind of just like you're walking through. So there's like enough that your body's going through, but the corn is like brushing to the side of you. And then like after like 15, 20 feet, there's like a gravel path. Okay. And so everyone's walking this gravel path. There's only one real entrance into this thing. And it's through the corn on this gravel path and uh, all over on the different sides of you they're They're playing. Well, first they got speakers and they're playing that iconic field of dreams soundtrack. Dun, dun, dee, dee, dee. they're playing all the tingling Very stuff cool. like, Holy right. cow. and on the left and the right of you everywhere are these cutouts of the different players from the teams so i you know i took pictures in front of a couple of them david ross patrick wisdom nico horner except i felt bad because they had a cutout of frank swindell and he's not on the team i'm like oh man uh, uh, were, were the know? iowa cubs in town crowley was he able to attend the game I do not know they were not. And so he was not there. And so we walk, you walk there and then there's a path. You can either go left or right. And if you, if you looked at the stadium and you watched the game, there's not a lot on the first base side, the right field side. There's not a lot of stands on the left field side. There's Mm -hmm. a lot. And so uh, we went towards the uh, left field side. That's where our seats were kind of above the Reds dugout. But you walk in and there, there's, you know, all sorts of different things. There's souvenir shops, there's food, there's beer. And you're just, like I said, bumping into all these people. I spent too much at the souvenir shop. I got some shot glasses and I got some programs and they look all old fashioned-y. And, 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 but everybody there is smiling. Like nobody's like in a bad mood. Nobody's pissy. You're just having a lot of fun. And so I'm, I'm walking to my seats. Who do I bump into? Pat Hughes and Zach Zaidman. <laughs> wow. And they're just walking around. That's awesome. Just literally walking around. So I, I'm having a laugh here. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're walking around and we, we bumped into so many people, friends and, and season ticket holders. And again, all these Cubs players everywhere. Matt Caesar, Ben Zobris, Kerry Wood, Ryan Dempster. I mean, just the, the list was endless of people that you ran into. And so um, we take our seats, right? And we don't last year, Kevin Costner came out. And that was the big question was Kevin Costner in town. Is he coming out of the corn? Who's coming out of the corn? We know somebody's coming out of the corn and out of the corn comes Ken Griffey Jr. The kid and Ken Griffey senior. And they, they, how soon did you realize it was them? How, how soon did you know it was them? I mean, immediately, I mean, you're a big baseball guy. I mean, did you know, boom, or did it take a second? Was there any kind of, was Fox network for that part of it piped in? Because at some of these big events, like you will hear Jim Nance, or you would hear Joe Buck on the PA of the building. Was, was it like that? Or did they have a separate kind of a thing going on? Or was there just natural sound? A lot of it was natural sound, but there was a, there's an electronic scoreboard on the left field side. And so, like, we saw someone coming out, and, I, and we were all thinking something movie. You know what I mean? Like, something movie-related. Because uh, we later found out a lot of the actors were there. For, like, uh, the dad, Ray Kinsella, and uh, – or, or was it John, John Kinsella was the dad in the movie. 
and uh, Ray was his son, and uh, Tim Busfield was there, the guy, the brother-in-law of Kevin Costner. So we thought it was something like that, but right away, like we saw on the scoreboard, especially there was a lot of Reds fans too, it was kind of very equal. And so everyone was just so excited, you know, to, you know, because even being a Cubs fan, for me, you know, the kid was, a, you know, the reason you put your hat on backwards as a baseball player. And, and, and you know, for the other older generation, Ken Griffey Sr. was a, you know, great player as well. And so we heard uh, they were mic'd up and that, that played through some, like not with Jim Nance or those guys, whatever they were saying out of there. I didn't hear anything of the broadcast, but I, I heard him say, Dad, you want to have a catch? And he said, I would like oh, that. Very they cool. started they start throwing the ball back and forth. And then the next thing you see is literally all the players coming out of the corn. And the very cool thing is that mixed in with the players are the Hall of Famers. And so Nico Horner was talking about this. I heard him talking about it later is that on one side of him, you know, was Billy Williams. And I think on the other was Fergie Jenkins. Sandberg's there. Dawson's there. Um Williams, Dawson, Sandberg, yeah. And then for the Reds, it was Johnny Bench and Barry Larkin that were there. And so it was Johnny Bench throwing a first pitch to – or Fergie, Jenks, Fergie Jenkins throwing a first pitch to Johnny Bench. And like I said, how could you yeah, – very cool. As a baseball purist, how do you not love that? And so they have the, the, the you know, Star Spangled Banner, whoever that was. I wasn't sure who she was, but she did a great job. And then they had a flyover, which was really cool. Uh, and so there, there was a lot of just amazing things. The scenery, the, the weird thing I always remember is at first pitch, like we're looking around and there's 8,000 people. I think there's more in the Schaumburg Boomer Stadium, you know, or right. something as that. And, and the other thing is that there's no other noise around there. So when that first pitch happened and everyone's taking their pictures, it was eerily quiet. Like you could hear like a pin drop and that was what was really crazy. But you know, every, everyone, like I said, was just in good spirits. Uh, you know, I talked to Tom Ricketts, Jed Hoyer, uh, Crane Kenny, uh, just, just seeing just so many people and, and all the different amazing things. Um, a lot of times what they would do, one of the cool things that they did, um, the man who played Shoeless Joe Jackson, the actor, passed away, what, a couple, maybe like one or yeah, two maybe months maybe a month ago. ago. Yeah, Ray Liotta. Yeah. Right, Ray, Ray Liotta. Liotta passed mm -hmm. away. And they did this clip of uh, it was Kevin Costner speaking about the great moments he had on the set. And it's that very famous scene, that first scene when Joe Jackson comes, Shoeless Joe Jackson comes back to the field and uh, Kevin Costner's offering to throw in balls, you know, throw a little BP. And there's that one that he's, hey, see if you can hit the curveball. And he hits the bag of balls and knocks Kevin Costner. That was, they did that in one take. And so Kevin Costner was talking about that. So there's a couple of very tear jerking moments. So that, you know, Griffey with his dad, do you want to have a catch? Um, there was that moment where they had the tribute to Ray Liotta and then they had the Vin Scully, people will come Ray, that speech, the James Earl yeah, Jones. It was very cool. Him voicing that. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'm that. sure you did. You've got it. Uh, you got a DVR at home, right? Crowley. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they will be playing it over and over again. Cause it, it was uh, like, I'm even getting like, I think I'm just tired, but I'm getting teared up kind of just thinking about it as far as a standpoint of just how much it meant to everybody. Like it was just a connection between the past and the present. And if you're somebody that enjoyed the movie, it was just like, they would always, you know, they it just, it, the setup was just amazing. The, 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 the clips, they had a lot of different, different scenes from the movie they would play in between there. 
it just was special. And, uh, and at the very end, they have the fireworks that are going off and the players come out and their, their families and their kids are on the field and the fireworks are going off. And then afterwards, there was a, a country singer, Walker Hayes, right? I don't, I don't know country music very well. I apologize for any of the podcast listeners who may be more inclined to listen to country music. But it was Walker Hayes, right? Uh, the guy who sings that Applebee's song. And I'm running oh. and I'm talking to this guy next to me. And he's, I guess he was like some big time farmer, owned a bunch of land down there. He's like, you're a good fan here. Take this VIP pass. And so at the end of the game, I get on the field. I'm literally about like three feet from this guy and he's singing and we're all dancing and having a good time. And then you're, you're leaving the stadium. And as you leave the stadium, you're going down that same path, but it's all lit up. All lit okay. up as you're going to the grass and stuff like that. And again, I think back to the iconic scene where they pan out and all the cars are just driving away. And, and that's what it reminded me of. So it, like I said, I know it sounds very bizarre to, to, to say it's better than all those games I've ever been to, but I, I, there's just not a, an experience where you just like, you're that close. Like you hear the players like talking or, you know, like I have a pretty big mouth. And so like, if I'm in the bleachers, they'll hear me or something, but I, you know, it wasn't like I was far away, but like, like I barely had to yell and they're turning around. Patrick wisdom's waving. Willie Harris is giving me the old, you know, two finger salute. So it was all, all in good fun, man. It was, it was just an absolute blast. And, 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 the funny thing is you could just see it on the players' faces, how amazed. And when I was on Twitter a little bit earlier before the game, I was just looking at the players. They were all taking pictures the same as we were of the same stuff and just laughing and smiling. And it was, it was just a one of a kind unique experience and they're not having a field of the dreams game next season. So I'm sure they may have it in the future, but I don't, like I said, this is what they're going to be doing. And, and we're going to have an interview coming up. Um, with Tommy Birch from the Des Moines Register and the Iowa Cubs. But Frank Thomas, you know, is a former White Sox player, a Hall of Famer. Him and his group own that uh, field of dreams, and they're going to turn it into a youth sports complex. So I think, like, at least eight fields for baseball and softball, maybe more hotels, all this stuff. So maybe the next time they have it, it may lose a little bit of that small-time charm that made it so special, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled that you got to go. It came off very well overall on television. Maybe we'll save the TV review until you get to listen to that yeah. one in episode number uh, 24. But You're listening is, to there is, oh, there is a couple negatives really quick here. I just got I got to put this out. Okay. Here. If you got I a thought, couple, if you got a couple, let's have them. Number one, I told you about those parts where I'm like tearing up. The Vince Scully and the and the. Um, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have these tributes. Immediately, like the second the tribute was done, they start playing like this crazy like dance music. And I'm like, read the room, guys. Like everyone's a little emotional here. Give us a little something, a little more mellow and not just like, you know, some electronic dance music. That was one thing. So that's, something, got- that, that's something that happened there. That, that's something that I and the TV viewer or listening to Pat and Ron did not catch. Absolutely. And then the other thing it was that holographic Harry. I love Harry Carey. He is one of the primary reasons. My dad's number one, but Harry Carey's number two. I am a Cub fan. And, you know, listening to games, running home to catch WGN. And if you got off the bus at like 2, 2.30, you can catch the you know last third of the game. I would always love to hear Harry call a game one more time or sing, hear him sing a stretch. But guess what? Harry's gone, guys. I don't know what that was. It was very odd. Like at the stadium, it was weird. Like you looked up at the booth and there was this weird 
I don't know what it was, man, but it looked blur. like... Blur. You guys, it probably looked like a blur there. Um, they really, for television, Crawley, they really cleaned him up. I'm sure you've seen now clips on social media on your way home. It did not look like any Harry Carey I remember, and you or I are about the same age. It's never, it's not a Harry Carey that we were running home and watching on TV. That was not, that was not the same guy. No, absolutely. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one, episode 23. We're calling this one, Is This Heaven? This week we've gone a little bit out of order as Crawley was at the game yesterday on Thursday night, so we started there. We will get to a review of the game from start to finish and then preview the upcoming games. But now we are going to talk to Tommy Birch of the Iowa Cubs and the Des Moines Register right here on the Fly the W670 podcast. My next guest on Fly the W, you know him as one of the voices of the Iowa Cubs and a writer for the Des Moines Register. We have Tommy Birch with us. How are you, Tommy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, as it said, as they said in 1989, if you build it, they will come. Here we are. We have we are about a uh, little over 24 hours away from the start of the Field of Dreams games. How do the people of Des Moines how, how fired up do they get when this game comes to town? Yeah, I mean, I think the entire state gets pretty fired up. I, I don't think it's the same level as it was last year when the White Sox and New York Yankees came. There was just so much more intrigue when it came to all of it because nobody had really seen the field. Nobody really knew what the game was going to look like and all that. We've seen the field. We've had a game. There certainly still is intrigue. This one of the biggest tickets in, in the entire state of Iowa. I talked to a lot of people who entered the – the lottery again and we're pretty disappointed they didn't get in so it'll be a packed house it'll be a sellout crowd um and it'll be a fun night for people yeah you know and and it's hard to believe that movie came out in 1989 and you had kevin costner and james earl jones and sadly the late ray Liotta. i'm sure they're probably gonna pay tribute to him tonight you today right yeah that's kind of the game plan that's something uh people from fox have been telling me um i actually went up to the field dreams movie site um, to do a story on kind of how Fox and Major League Baseball were going to try to follow up last year's kind of epic game, not only from from a baseball standpoint, but more or less a, a broadcast standpoint because it was a huge hit. You know, you had that timeless tribute with Kevin Costner and the players walking out of the corn, um, <clears throat> all that type of great stuff. And they were actually looking at the land, kind of walking through different things uh, the day that Ray Liotta passed away. And right away they had said um, that they wanted to do something to to honor him. So that will probably happen during the game. And Kevin Costner, I mean, does he take an integral role in, in kind of what goes on as far as the pregame and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, we do not know if Kevin Costner is going to be here tonight. Um, there were kind of there were definitely rumblings that he was going to be here last year. We haven't really heard some of those this time around. That doesn't mean it's not happening. They tried to keep everything very, um, very quiet last year. I did know the day before the game that Costner was going to be coming and making an appearance at the site the night before the game, which obviously then led me to believe he was going to be a part of the broadcast one way or another, but haven't heard anything yet so far. One thing I kind of have been able to gather is um, I think Fox is really going to try to utilize the kind of the storied history of both these organizations, the the Cubs and the Reds, and try to bring in some of those old-time players um, who – 
you know, maybe we have a good tip of who they're going to be based off the list of guys that are going to be around town doing different autograph shows. But, you know, I, I would say guys from like the big red machine, some of the typical faces that you see around Wrigley Field, like a Ryan Sandberg and Fergie Jenkins, those type of guys. But I think they're all going to be a part of this game and in this broadcast some way. It, it, it really, like I said, I mean, as a kid who grew up and saw that movie in 1989, it was, you know, it just touched on so many different levels and it's, and it's hard to believe it's resonated over 30 years later that, that this is happening. So this movie, you did an article in the Des Moines Register about the family that really kind of was, you know, where that was filmed, right? That was two families that that, that area covered. Is that correct? Yeah, the the it, it was actually split into kind of two properties. You know, one family on the left and center field line, but another family, Don and Becky Lansing, owned pretty much the rest of the entire field, the barn, uh, the iconic house from the movie, and stuff like that. They ended up buying the entire property, but they had always had some big plans for the site. You know, they they saw it just naturally becoming a major tourist attraction. It's not something they were pubbing, pushing, or trying to make it become. It was just something naturally that people um, flocked Hollywood to do. They were they were just such giant fans of the movies that they wanted to wander out to the cornfield, walk out of the corn, play catch with their, their dad or their son or whatever, and see where the movie is filmed. But it's grown immensely since then, and um, Don and Becky ended up selling the site and the, and those owners ended up selling it to now the current, um, owners, which include Frank Thomas, who have some really big plans. They want to put in eighth youth baseball and softball fields. They want to actually build a permanent type stadium to possibly host more major league games <clears throat> and even a hotel. So. It's going to be interesting to see what the site can look like in in two, three years and maybe even sooner because the idea is they want to have a lot of these youth baseball and softball fields ready to roll for the 2023 summer. Wow. And and that really was Don and Becky. They kind of wanted to do something like that is what I got from your article. But then uh, Denise Stillman from Go the Distance comes in and buys it and she really kind of put together that idea of a youth baseball and softball complex as well. Yeah, Don and Becky actually wanted to to turn like the barn house into an area where they would uh, take in troubled teens, uh, just all kinds of kids, and kind of teach them about farming and stuff like that, and kind of give them something else to do as kind of a um, an out for for whatever they were going through. You know, they always had these grand plans of some kind of youth, you know, one way or another benefiting use. You know, they obviously didn't have the grand plans of putting in a youth baseball and softball complex, but, you know, they pitched around some pretty interesting ideas, you know, possibly a bed and breakfast. Um, But they always wanted to keep it small and simple. You know, they turned down chances to make a lot of money, including – you know, somebody had approached them about advertising and, and building a scoreboard on the movie site diamond and, and, and sponsoring that, but they turned it down. And part of that was that, you know, they didn't view themselves as, as a major uh, kind of business people, but also part of it was they wanted to keep it simple. But I think now they like the ideas that are 
being moved forward. It's it's obviously taking their ideas on a whole other level. But I think they realize, okay, this is an opportunity to build the brand of Field Dreams, get a whole other audience of um, <clears throat> fans of the movie involved. Because, look, you know, 1989 is a, a long time since the movie <laughs> came out. You know, the movie is for people like you and I, our age. But, you know, what I'm seeing from this experience is there are so many Major League Baseball players that have not seen the movie. I remember Tim Anderson, before he hit the walkout home run last year, said he hadn't seen the movie. But before the White Sox and the Yankees came to, <clears throat> came to Dyersville last year, Major League Baseball, I believe hooked them hooked them all up with copies of the movie. Kind of urged them to watch it. Um, the Sea Rapids Colonels, their manager urged those guys to watch, and a lot of those guys did. And I think that's part of the the whole thing with this youth baseball complex too. Is there are going to be teams that are coming out there? The dads who are like you and I, you know, kind of our age, are going to be like, okay. Kids, this is what you're going to play. Let's watch the movie. And it's an opportunity to really expose, um, you know, the film to a whole other generation of fans. I I remember it came out in 1989. I think it was 1995. I was one of those people that literally I had a girlfriend at the time and she hadn't seen the movie. And we just got in the car and we drove out there. And, and you know, I'm excited to see all the changes. I, I doubt I'd even recognize it because we just literally we drove out. Same thing, brought a couple mitts, ran around the bases, that kind of stuff. But it literally just was exactly like the movie. It was just a farmhouse and a little field, and and it was unreal. Yeah, when you come on game day for the actual Field of Dreams big league game, it's gonna be like nothing that you remember it because there's just so much set up for the big league game. But I will say, like, if you come back on a typical day when, you know, it's a month or two out from the big league game, you know, it's it's going to have that same feel to it. I remember a, a lot of people were really concerned when that announcement came that Major League Baseball was going to be coming in and building a stadium at the site um, that was going to take away some of the magic, some of the appeal, some of the simpleness of the movie site. But I don't think it really has. And even though it's a short walk from one field to the other, just the way the two parks are set up and with the corn and everything, um, it just feels like that that big league diamond is so much further away than it actually is. So it hasn't done that. Now, granted, once you start putting in eighth youth baseball and softball complex, you know, stadiums, um, a hotel and possibly a whole other park could be a totally different story. Yeah, that's why I'm glad, like I said, I've gotten the chance to go when it was brand, you know, when right after the movie and now this chance now. As someone that's going to the game, what would you recommend uh, as far as kind of places to go or places to see around the area of Field of Dreams? Yeah, I would say first thing, get there early. Traffic is going to be absolutely insane. But um, obviously, you got to go to the original movie site. You, you have to to actually get to the big league stadium. You walk through the corn to get there. Check out the house. Check out um, um, the there's actually a shop which has baseballism um, stuff. Walk around the movie site field, play catch, do all that type of stuff. Um, because during the game, it's going to be really, really special. And one thing that I noticed that was really, really cool last year is once the big league game actually ended, there were a lot of people that stuck around and played catch 
on the movie site diamond under the lights it was just kind of an impromptu thing that happened it turned out to be really cool and really special and and kind of really reminiscent of the end of the movie you know where uh rick and so and his dad are playing catch on the field and you see that long line of cars you're gonna have that long line of cars but you're gonna have more people playing catch so um those are kind of the main things you know i i would recommend to anybody going to the game make sure you bring your glove all right that's a good piece of advice here now uh is i would i would be remiss to not ask you a little bit about the iowa Cubs season this year uh kind of an interesting one and when i talk to people about minor leagues triple a is always the tough one because that's the one where there's never really any consistency players are constantly moving back and forth guys are coming for rehabs all that stuff what have you seen so far out of the iowa cubs this year yeah, it's been kind of a, a really weird roster, really weird year with so many, you know, transactions. Obviously, covering a AAA team, you're used to transactions, but I don't know if I've ever seen this many DFAs in one season. But, you know, it's you know, it's been very interesting watching kind of the progression of Caleb Killian. It hasn't been that natural, just straight-up success. It's kind of been a bumpy road, but there's still – a lot of optimism for a guy like him. I was really looking forward to seeing a full season of Brennan Davis, but he massively struggled when he was here. It turns out we find out that he wasn't healthy, was dealing with a back injury, which ultimately led to surgery. It sounds like he will be back sometime this season. I don't know if that means he's going to be getting that bats here or he's going to be getting that bats in Arizona, but he's going to be getting some playing time somewhere. So, to me, those have kind of been the biggest storylines, Caleb Killian and, um, and Brennan Davis, even though Brennan Davis's stint in Iowa seems like forever ago at this point. Now, when you take a look at some of the pitchers, and we know once we get to right around Labor Day, there's going to be some movement. Obviously, you would expect Caleb Killian to be one of those guys that gets called up to the major roster. Um, Matt Swarmer, how's he been doing since his return? Have they been working on anything specific that you can tell? You know, uh, not really. I mean, for him, it's just about maybe trying to add some more pitches to his arsenal because, look, that cutter is pretty much what got him um, to the big leagues and kind of kept him up there too. But he's got to develop a little bit more stuff to to be able to get out hitters because right now it kind of seems like it's been a one-two type pitch mix, which will get you by for a little bit, but you're not going to have a lot of success in the big leagues with that type of stuff unless – one of those pitches is just absolutely amazing. So they're kind of I'm, – I'm interested to see what their game plan is going to be moving forward with him, if it's going to be in that starter role or kind of long relief. I think right now they are kind of trying to stretch him back out because when he was DFA'd, he went a little bit without pitching. So he's under a little bit of a pitch count right now. But, it, you know, it's quite the amazing story. I don't know if Matt Schwarmer is ever going to get back to the big leagues, but that guy – you know, worked his butt off, grinded his way through, and, you know, was a guy that a lot of people, um, I think, had kind of written off. You know, he's a guy that's been in the organization for a long time, but put up great, great numbers in Iowa this season. And Chicago needed an arm. He went up there, made the most of his shot, and got to stick around for a little bit. You got to see the debut of Hayden Wesniski, uh came from the Yankees in the trade for Scott Efros. Uh, obviously a lot of people were excited and it was kind of a crazy thing. The start didn't go that well, but uh, 
you know, it's going to be interesting to watch how, you know, his progression goes as well for the rest of the Iowa season. Yeah, I mean, the the numbers look absolutely horrendous when you look at the start. I mean, I think it was one and a third, one and two thirds innings, something like that, eight runs. Um, you know, there is some silver lining to it if you really want to look at it. And I think uh, some perspective is certainly needed when it comes to that because, you know, look, here's a guy that hadn't pitched and I think nine, ten days was with a new organization, was under a tight pitch count. Um, and I think, you know, out of the eight hits he gave up, like five of them were, you know, under 75 miles an hour. So there wasn't a lot of hard contact. There were a lot of bloops and frankly, some misplayed balls in the outfield and infield as well. So we didn't get a ton of help, but, you know, he didn't look sharp. He didn't look great, but, you know, it's something I don't take too much stock into because one, it's start number one for him with a new organization after a lot of rest. So, you know, how he does and starts two, three, and four really going to tell me a lot more about him. Yeah, like you said, you know, sometimes the BABIP gods are not, not in your side. These duck snores, these balls drop in, these rollers, and there's just no – it's not like these guys were absolutely tattooing him. Yeah, the baseball gods were pretty pissed at him that day. <laughs> no, he didn't help his cause either. You know, he fell behind in some counts, and, and you know, th- that's another thing kind of worth noting when it comes to his start. You know, he – you know, the, the strike-to-ball count was was not great, but I would say, like, when he was missing, it's not like he was massively missing. He was just really close. He was really right around the zone, which also kind of leads me to believe, like, okay, you get him on a typical five-day rest kind of plan, he's going to be a little bit sharper. So, um, you know, I saw a lot of panic from Cubs fans, and, um, a lot of rejoicing from Yankee fans after that starts. Um, but, you know, it's just one start. There's going to be a lot more, and they're they're very high up on him. Classic baseball fan overreaction. Now, speaking of first base, it seems like you have a lot of first basemen down there, and you also mentioned DFAs earlier. And so, it, to me, I'm kind of sitting here and looking at that first base position and going, you know, oh boy, because Matt Mervis has absolutely, it doesn't matter, you know, double A, triple A, he's been absolutely mashing the ball. Uh, What have you seen so far about Matt that has impressed you the most? He is one big dude. He's really big. When when I saw him in in BP for the first time, I was like, holy cow, like that guy, that guy's a beast. But yeah, he's done absolutely nothing but rake, you know, he, he did hit a little bit of a of a wall for for a couple of games, but rebounded pretty quick. And he just has a knack for uh, being able to drive in runs. I think there are just some guys that have that ability to to do really good situational hitting and, and just have that unique ability to drive in runs. Obviously, um, the opportunity has to present itself where you got you got guys on base, but you know he's shown a tremendous amount of power. And, and really made a, a pretty good adjustment from double A to triple A. And you look at just where he's been already in the organization, this rapid rise. I think you kind of wait for, you're kind of almost like, okay, at some point he's going to really cool off. You know, you saw with Nelson Mal- Malnado a little bit, who just absolutely raked in double A. 
um, and then made the jump to triple and has had some success and also had some growing pains. And I think still a really good hitter and somebody who will probably get a chance down the road and should because he, he's just a legit good hitter. But even a good hitter like him really um, hit that wall. And I think that's going to be our true telling point when it comes to Matt Mervis because it will happen at some point. And I think that's what the Cubs kind of wait for when it comes to guys like that. How do they respond once they deal with that first set of adversity? Speaking of adversity, Alfonso Rivas is a guy that was with the with the Major League Club for a long time, and now he's back in the minors. Do you, do you look at those guys when they come back and see kind of what their attitude is like? And 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 do you see the coaches kind of maybe saying, okay, this is what happened and, and this is how we're going to try to adjust? Yeah, I mean, there are two things I really pay close attention to when that happens. One of them is how quickly do you get back to Des Moines? That really tells you how much the guy is investing, how much they want to work at it. Now, sometimes situations dictate you possibly taking a little bit longer you know this this is a business there are legitimate personal lives that are in play where you have to figure out how to move where to stay and how to get your family to point a to point b so it's not to knock anybody that actually does take the full time sometimes you just have to but you know i think about guys like albert elmore jr who you know when he got sent down a couple years ago he knew i was roster was and we one man short until we got there. He wanted to get ABs. He wanted to get time and rush back down here. Even Jackson Frazier did um, this year. But usually, kind of how it goes early on is they, you know, hitting coach Desi Wilson usually lets the guys kind of get their feet wet, kind of go through their rhythm for a couple games, maybe even a week or so, and just kind of watch them and see how they're doing and see if there's anything that can be fixed and. After about a week or so, if there is something, then they'll dive in. But usually early in the process, it's just kind of wait and see and and then go from wait and see and dissect. Right. And, and, and so now at this point, you have two guys down there that were major leaguers. Well, Frank Schwindel and David Bodie. David Bodie was a couple of years up with the Cubs and Schwindel had a good second half last season, but it struggled, uh, especially with some back issues. You know, how much concern do you see with guys like that? Because, you know, with Frank Schwindel, at least David Bodie's under contract for another year with Frank. You know, it's it's got to be really tough, especially knowing that there's other guys like Rebus and Mervis who need at-bats. Yeah, I mean, right now, if you're a guy like David Bodie or a guy like Frank Schwindel, it's, it's a really tough spot to be in where – Last year, you were in teardown mode. I think you're still kind of in teardown mode a little bit if you're the Chicago Cubs, but you were just looking for guys to fill in spots and and essentially giving them a chance to audition and saying, look, we need somebody to go out and play first base. We need somebody to go out and play second or third base, like kind of like Patrick Wisdom did at third base. Go out there. If you rake, we'll keep playing you. If you don't, we're going to give somebody else a shot. Frank Schwindel made the most of his shot last year and got a chance to to prove what he could do again this year, and it just hasn't worked out. You know, David Bodie was a guy that really took advantage of his shot a couple of years ago, has been through a lot of injuries and came back up this year, and they kind of gave him a shot and said, look, let's see what you can do. And at that point, both those guys and even guys like Jason Hayward, who has now been a while for around for a little bit, 
when they've gotten their opportunities, haven't made the most of it. And now the Cubs have kind of turned their attention to um, saying, like, okay, we know what we have in Frank Schwindel, David Bodie, and Jason Hayward. Let's go look at the younger guys, see what they can do, because the Cubs are at a point where they got to figure out who is going to be a part of their plans moving forward. And the only way you can do that is by giving guys at bats and opportunities. And right now it's going to be a lot of young guys to figure out, like, okay, are you a part of our future? If you are, go play it. And that's kind of one of the things I look at is it looks to me like there's a ton of outfield talent in the throughout the Cubs affiliates. You guys have a couple guys, and I wonder if you wonder, you know, if you think any of these because they just picked up for Mil Reyes. Uh, you have Christopher Morrell. You have Nelson Velasquez. Uh, obviously, Seiya is going to anchor right, and you still have Ian Happen left. So yeah. I think Ian not getting traded, which a lot of people are happy about, it does kind of affect these other guys. Do you see any of the following, like Narciso Crook or Jackson Frazier or Nelson Maldonado, being called up and getting some playing time in September? Yeah, I mean, I could see Crook in some opportunities again just because he's played so well and done so great. You know, he he's not only put up great offensive numbers, but played great defense. You know, we threw out a runner at second base last night, or not last night. The, the days at this point are kind of blending together. But the other night, has showcased a really good arm. He's just a tremendously uh, great athletic dude and a tremendous clubhouse presence. He's probably one of the most likable, lovable popular guys on that roster so he's the type of guy that you want in your clubhouse especially during this kind of awkward time of rebuilding and retooling if you're the chicago cubs you know i think of him as a less experienced version of jason hayward because he has those leadership qualities and those kind of rally the guys uh, around type type personality which you, you frankly you want on your club i think jackson frazier hasn't played well enough where I don't know if the opportunity is going to come again for him. I think at this point he's going to ride out the season in AAA, get paid. And he's pretty adamant to me that the reason why when he was designated for assignment, he entertained the idea of becoming a free agent. But he wanted to get paid. If he would have become a free agent, he would have gotten paid by the Cubs. So he came to Iowa, got to work, and is getting paid. And um, is hoping to go back to the major leagues, but it's been kind of a struggle for him. Molinado is a guy that, you know, I think the tough thing for Molinado, despite being such a good hitter, and despite kind of the, the numbers not being there, I still think there's an opportunity for a guy like him and probably should be um, because he has a really good track record. And I think once he gets hot, that might be something that is entertained. But the problem for him is just lack of positioning. You know, he can play first base, he can play the outfield, but um, I don't think well enough where, you know, at least he's got to be able to just hit so great that you're willing to overlook kind of um, whatever defensive um, disadvantages he may have. Well, Tommy, I appreciate you taking some time talking with us. Uh, you know, where, where can people find your work, follow you on the socials? Yeah, uh, DesMoinesRegister.com gets subscription. I got I, I got clothes I got to pay for for my four year old. So help a guy out uh, on Twitter at uh, Tommy Birch B I R C H. There's not a T in my last name. I know people like to substitute that R. So um, Tommy Birch, uh, follow me on Twitter, and um, yeah, I think that's I think that's everything. 
Well, Tommy, I'm ready to go the distance and head to Des Moines where the city is buzzing, but the S's are silent. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. And thank you for coming on, Tommy. Yeah, hit me up. Let me know when you get to town and uh, we'll, we'll hang out. All right. You take care. Thank you. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 23, Is This Heaven? of the Fly the W670 podcast. Tommy Birch was excellent, great information. Nobody knows more about the Field of Dreams game and what's happening with the Iowa Cubs than Tommy. Always great to hear from him. All right, Crowley, we talked about the experience. Now let's go through the game itself. So Thursday night out in Iowa, different setting, obviously, and... Uh, what happened? What did you see? Tell us how. Uh, tell us how the scoring happened. Tell us how the Cubs won this one. Well, you had uh, Drew Smiley on the mound for the Cubs, and we talked about how that last time out he had a great start versus Nick Lodolo, and Drew Smiley once again just had a great game, and uh, you know just kind of you scratch your head. You know, I'm surprised the team didn't try to take a flyer on him for the trade deadline. Maybe they off someone offered, but uh, he had a great game. But the Cubs jumped all over Nick. Lodolo to start the game you know they got two outs right away but then wisdom was hit by a pitch Seiya Suzuki will double wisdom scores and so the Cubs are up one nothing Nico Horner singles Suzuki scores the Cubs are up two nothing and then Hap will take a double to center Nico scores so right away you're up three nothing and so that was exciting yeah, it was a really great start, and I love the fact, Crowley, that all of that happened with two outs, and then those guys did stuff with you know the dreaded runners in scoring position stat that we've had a, a lot of fun picking apart. Not fun, but something that's been a recurring theme on the Fly the W podcast was how many more guys are going to get left stalled out. So it was great to take that early lead. It was. Unfortunately, they were going to be leaving a lot of runners on. but uh, <coughs> Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Good things first. Good things first. Top of the third scary moment. Uh, Wilson walks. Wisdom singles. But Wilson twists his ankle as he's going around second. He falls down, and he is very much in pain, and we're all freaking out. Um, and, and the trainer comes out, and David Ross comes out, and they're helping him back. I thought he was going to be out of the game. And so uh, he was, so he's out because he was trying to get to third and he had fallen down. And so he was tagged. And so wisdom was at first, he couldn't advance anymore. So wisdom steals second, say a walks, Horner flies out and half strike out strikes out. But then in the top and the, in the bottom of the third, I was shocked to see Wilson Contreras come back behind the plate. I was too Crowley Crowley. I said, I was watching that game with some guys via zoom. And I said, that's it. I said, they were, they were supposed to trade Wilson Contreras. It didn't happen. He comes back, hits a home run in his first game back at Wrigley Field. And I said, this is the way we're going to remember the last Nico Horner. I'm sorry, the last Wilson Contreras moment as a Chicago Cub. Were Boy, you, were, I'm glad were, I was wrong. Yeah, it, it was. I just was wondering, do you think if it wasn't the Field of Dream game, let's say they're at Wrigley or the Great American Ballpark, do you think he comes back out? It's a great question great question is he, is it because it was the field of dream is he trying to show cubs fans and cubs management how much everything means to him was that part of it if he had a contract a three or four year contract right now for 100 million or 90 million or 85 whatever would it have been different so all very very good and very interesting points that you bring up that is something we talked about this morning on the Mullion Haw show i'm not 100% sure the guy listen the guy's tough as nails that that i know for sure 
And, and, and again, all the, a lot of the players were very excited to play this game. And you know you're having a massive audience. I don't know the numbers yet. I know that the White Sox-Yankees just did huge numbers last year. I'm hoping to see the same this year. But, you know, that's a showcase type thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It was a, it was a fun game. It didn't have the home runs. I think that was the one thing that it lacked for me overall the game is that we needed some we needed some balls flying out into that corn <laughs> when the game was actually being played. We were we were hoping for that, but in the top of the fourth they do get runs. The old fashioned way, uh, Nelson Velasquez and PJ Higgins with back to back singles to lead it off. Morel pops out at third. Nick Madrigal, we gotta talk about him. He singles. Velasquez uh and, Velasquez and uh scores and the Cubs are up again. Um, and so two runs actually scored on that. No, just Velasquez scored. So it, it was uh, a fun inning. And so Nikki two strikes is going to single Velasquez scores and the Cubs are up for nothing. Um, Wilson Contreras flies out there. Stadies Aquino who throws out Higgins at third and the threat. That was an amazing throw. Amazing throw, no doubt about it. Let, let's talk about Nick Madrigal really really quick here, Crowley. So he'll end up finishing this game with three hits, a stolen base. He has some hits in the National Series that we did not completely review, right? Um, right. I mentioned today that I was a little bit concerned that Nicky Madrigal might play so well in these last 50 or so games that the Cubs are going to say, you know what we don't need? We don't need to upgrade at shortstop because we got nowhere else to move Nico Horner because we now have found our answer at second base. So I'm a little leery of that. I'm curious to see what you think of that, or that shouldn't be an obstacle because maybe you can play Nico at um, third base. Maybe you could play Nico at center field. And again, you know, if, if you're talking, if it comes down to Carlos Correa or Dansby Swanson or any of those shortstops, Xander Bogarts, I mean, you get those guys. I mean, we're not, we're not, that's not potential. That's, we know what they are. So that shouldn't right. affect you in any which way. If that's the guy you think you want to build around, then that's what you're going to build around. Okay. Okay. I was curious to what you think of that. All right. Continue. Sorry for sidetracking. You continue on no, this game. No, I right? love it. In the bottom of the seventh, Michael Rucker comes into pitch. Uh, Jose Barrio has a leadoff double to left. Jake Frail walks. He's pinch hitter. Matt Reynolds doubles. So both Barrero and Fraley score, and the Cubs lead 4-2. to two. But the guy who's really been nails has been Brandon Hughes lately. He comes in and he gets Zenzel to ground out, Farmer to fly out, and he strikes out Joey Votto to end the three. So very excited with what I'm seeing out of Brandon Hughes. Yeah, that was good. And, you know, the other thing really quick, and obviously you didn't hear this part being at the game, but at home, Joey Votto and Ian Happ were mic'd up for the Fox broadcast. Uh, Crowley, when you get to listen back, and I'll be curious in episode number 24 to get your take on this, but Joey Votto almost was likable. Almost. Almost likable, Joey Votto, after hearing him on, on the Fox broadcast. He's a likable guy. Don't get me wrong. He just, he just, It just stinks when he's one of those guys that beats your brains in all the time. Yeah, he's been doing that for years for the Reds against the Cubs. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's finish this one up, bud. Bottom of the ninth, one, two, three inning for the now, it's clearly apparent, closer, Rowan Wick. He gets a strikeout. He gets a grounder right back to him with the old one, three, and then a strikeout to end the game. And as I talked about earlier, the fireworks are going off and everybody walks off happy except for the Reds fans. But even they walked off happy because it was a fun night. Fun night. Fun night. You so know, the Cubs got to fl fly the W Crowley. That's always, always a good thing. And now we have an unusual Friday Without Cubs baseball, no day game, 
no night game. The uh, the teams got on planes last night after the game, headed out to Cincinnati. We had uh, Ron Coomer on this morning, said they got in about 3 a.m. Cincinnati time, so I'm sure it's going to be a lot of napping and relaxation out in the, in the uh, Cincinnati area for our Cubs. And now they will get back on the field Friday afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, depending on which way you look at it. And we've got Adrian Sampson throwing for the Northsiders. Right. So that, that that's game two. It's going to be uh, Saturday at the Great American Ballpark. Adrian Sampson versus Graham Ashcroft. Um, what you've seen is there is so much turnover with the Reds. Uh, they were very active uh, during the trade deadline. And so they don't have a lot of people left. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of these people don't have experience against Adrian Sampson and a lot of people, a lot of the Cubs don't have experience versus Graham Ashcroft. Uh, Jonathan India, who leads off, has the most at bats against Adrian Sampson in five. You know what I mean? So you really have no sample size, but he did it at home run, uh, you know, and then Joey Votto is hitting 500 and four at bats. So he got two hits, but Again, these are so many players that you don't recognize. The one guy you do recognize, Albert Almora. Uh, so he made some plays in the outfield the other night. So he's still around. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that we, you know, this is now the soft part of the Cubs schedule. Whoever wrote the MLB schedule did not do the Cubs any favors in the first half at all. And the second half, it's a little bit easier here. You know, we've had series against Miami, Washington, Cincinnati. So th- this is kind of one of those things where it- it's hard to really gauge how great of a performance things are. You know what I mean? Right. So it goes back to the development versus winning. And then, Crowley, they will go back to Washington after Cincinnati. But let's not jump that far ahead. We've got game three, a 12:41 first pitch. Keegan Thompson throwing for the Cubs in that one. Yep. Keegan, Don- uh, Keegan Thompson versus uh, Justin Dunn. And once again, only one Cub has seen Justin Dunn, and that's Nick Magical, who's 0 for 1. And only a few people have seen uh, Keegan Thompson. Again, Jonathan India, uh, these guys all played one game against Keegan Thompson. So at, at this point, you're, you're not really too concerned about that. It's, it's trying to build on starts. And I've been a little bit nervous. I don't want to say nervous, but just kind of looking at Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. These were guys that were not anticipated to be starters. They were intended to be piggyback guys, bullpen guys. And so I'm just watching very closely innings. And if they're hitting walls, um, you know, Keegan, the last three starts against Washington, went six innings. He gave up one run. Start before that in St. Louis, he got tagged pretty good. And then, you know, the start before that in Pittsburgh, he went seven innings and gave up uh, zero runs on four hits. So I'm hoping to see Keegan have, you know, build on those good starts. But again, you know, sometimes it's good. You, you get a little bit of a breather here. You know what I mean? That, that you, you're not having to play all these dominant, awesome teams uh, day in and day out. Right. This is a good opportunity too, Crowley, I think. And we saw a little bit of it last night, Thursday night, as we're recording this on Friday for you. We saw the offense pick it up a little bit. So this would be a good time for the offense to become unbroke and get fixed against a uh, not-so-hot Reds pitching staff. All right, so we both know that the Cubs have already won one, so we've flown the W once. We've got two more games, Saturday, 
late afternoon, early evening, and then a day game on Sunday. Prediction time, Crowley. Um, I'm going to say that the Cubs fly the W one more time. I'm going to say they split out in Cincinnati, have a little more faith in the game on Sunday than I do on Saturday. It seems like for some reason the Cubs aren't giving Adrian Sampson a whole lot of run support. They haven't given anybody a whole lot of run support. How about you? You see, you pulling the broom out on this one, or are you going two out of three or one out of three? I think, I, boy, maybe I'm still happy. Maybe I'm still delirious from lack of sleep. But I'm going to go for the sweep right here. Adrian Sampson, like you said, no run support. The guy still doesn't have a win yet, and he's pitched so many good games for the Cubs. So I would just love to see him get the win, and I, I think I think Keegan's going to handle business on Sunday. So I, I'm hoping that we can sweep, fly the W. You know, When I look at Adrian Sampson, it just comes down to there always seems to be one inning that gets him, and I'm hoping that inning – doesn't manifest itself. Yeah, if you give up one run, no big deal. Just don't give up a crooked number. All right, Crawley's going for the sweep. I'm going for two out of three. Before we wrap this up, Crawley, uh, after we've listened to you, we can actually see you on television, I'm told. Yeah, I'm going to be on Marquee Network at 4 p.m. Central Time on Saturday. There is a new game show called Most Valuable Partner. So not only would you see me, you will be seeing my wife, and we are going to be competing against two other couples. So it'll be, it's a lot of fun. We had a good time shooting it. So if you know, if you want to DVR it or if you just want to, you know, tune in live, it's going to be fun. And it's just kind of new content. Marquis going to keep developing stuff. So we'll see what happens. Yep, I am going to uh, run to my DVR as soon as we are done recording this one. That is a wrap. This was season one. It is. One of our favorite episodes, as we asked, Is This Heaven? It was episode number 23. We thank you for listening, downloading, and liking us. We'll be back with you early next week. We will wrap up the Red Series. Crowley will get a chance to watch the game on Fox off his DVR. We'll give a little uh, critique of him on the Marquee Network as well. So, Crowley, thanks a lot. Go get yourself some sleep, bud. Yeah, and, and, and do me a favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to all our socials. You can follow us at Twitter and Instagram at FlyTheW670. You can check us out at Facebook at FlyTheW, or you can email us at FlyTheW670 at gmail.com.